0: strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash BE. That's IXL.com slash BE.
1: Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership personal development and education change making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul embody your calling and bring your dreams to life i'm your host david k richards and i share wisdom for my 25 plus years as an education innovator school founder and ceo mindset teacher and leadership coach but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact one education change maker at a time welcome everyone michael and i just had a really great conversation and as i always do i wanted to ask Michael, what he thinks the key takeaways are from this conversation. What do you think, Michael?
2: Well, thank you. Number one is the adolescent mental health crisis preceded the social media uh, version and is compounded by the meaninglessness of school. So, the number one thing to remember is that teen suicides were up three hundred percent since the fifties, and they teen suicides double almost every year every, every year uh, during the school year because of schooling. And so there's an underlying school factor associated with the adolescent mental health crisis that's exacerbated by social media. So caregivers got child school. Number two is my solution to this consists of schooling experiences that include connection, community, meaning and purpose. That often means small. It means personal relationships. There are larger schools and maybe extracurriculars and large public schools where kids experience connection, community, meaning and purpose. But if the day-in, day-out meet of your child's day, six, eight hours, does not consist of a lots of human connection, a warm community, lots of meaning and purpose, I recommend you do whatever you can to get your child into an environment that includes those. And my program, the thesocraticexperience.com, has a virtual program that provides those. And I've written about this a lot in various articles. So... Uh, If your child is not thriving, get community connection, meaning, and purpose. And finally, as a third point, uh, if your child is not thriving, there are many of us here to help. David's actually developing a program to help people. Uh, I'm happy to help people. I've written a lot of articles on this. The micro school movement is huge. So there are organizations like Acton and PRINDA that are helping parents create micro-schools, learning pods, there's technology. Uh, If your child is not thriving, reach out to any of us, all of us, read about it, watch videos, do whatever you can to get your child into an environment and or create an environment for your child where they are abundantly cared for and they are confident, happy, loved, and flourishing. Do not compromise on your child's well-being.
1: Yes, yes, I love it. And Great summary. And I would add that Michael brings some really strong statistics to kind of share his points, which I think are really important. And I learned a lot of new stuff today about different statistics that are in my kind of like toolbox that I usually I hear the same ones over and over. And I heard a lot of new ones today, which is great. And also super passionate about what he does. And you can tell he cares and he's been around for a long time and has a very diverse experience with charter school and different public schools and the private schools and the micro schools and is now his virtual school and just so many working with the whole foods founder. So really interesting experience. And I also love that he really believes so passionately, like I said, and he talks about the purpose that you can find for your kids. And like he just said, don't settle, don't settle, don't settle, trust your intuition. We talked a little bit about the mama bear So moms on here or anyone, trust your intuition. If the school feels like it's not right, we're gonna provide options for you and you're gonna hear a lot about it in this conversation. All right, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, David. Hello, everyone. Super excited to be here today with Michael Strong. How are you doing, Michael? I'm well, delighted to be here. Awesome, awesome. Can't wait for our conversation. I wanna start with reading off your bio and allowing you to kind of share anything else you wanna add to the bio, so I'll do a little reading here. Michael Strong is one of the most experienced designers of innovative schools in the US, and I looked him up and I absolutely agree with that statement, and it's very powerful and I wanna hear more. Michael has created a school for highly gifted children, a charter school in a low performing region in the US that was ranked in the 36th best public school in the US and the Montessori high school model for the largest Montessori network in the US. He's currently leading the Socratic Experience, a virtual school grades 3 through 12, which I also can't wait to hear more about. He's the author of The Habit of Thought, From Socratic Seminars to Socratic Practice, and lead author of Be the Solution, How Entrepreneurs and Conscious Capitalism Can Solve All the World's Problems. So anyone who knows me, which they do because they listen to my podcast, will know that there's a reason why you're on here because I'm so excited just by your bio. So Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and anything else you want to add before we kind of launch into some of the questions we're going to discuss today.
2: Sure. So um, I'll start. I went to, my parents were, my mom was high school dropout. My dad was an elevator repairman. I went to good public schools in Minnesota and Colorado. And then my junior year of high school I had a class where we all we did is we read and talked about philosophies. We read Plato, Nietzsche, Buber, and talked about it. And I loved it. It was kind of like going from black and white to color in one of those films. I'd always been a good student, straight A's. I was good at what I call memorize and forget, you know, upload it, get the A on the test, walk out. Um, but talking about ideas brought me alive. So I was going to drop out of high school and go to St. John's College, where all four years, all you do is talk about ideas. Mm. Instead, I did test scores, so I went to Harvard for a year and was bored by famous people talking at me, so they, I transferred to St. John's. And I described that program, where for four years, you discuss classic texts uh, with no lectures at all. Uh, I described it as the great love of my life after my wife. Obviously, wife needs to come first, and then intellectual dialogue number two. Yeah. But then when I was in graduate school in Chicago, I started leading Socratic seminars in Chicago public schools, inner city. And I felt like I was releasing prisoners. They became so alive, so yes. eager to talk. Uh, I then went to Alaska, and I was a Paideia teacher-trainer for Alaska public schools, again, releasing prisoners— we were on grant money. When the grant money ran out, um, some parents asked me to start a private school. So I was an accidental education entrepreneur. Um, I had you no know, no education credentials uh, and no entrepreneurial experience, but I helped that get going. They went to a, went to a Montessori school in San Antonio because some Montessori educators saw the intellectual independence of Socratic seminars as a complement to the independence of Montessori elementary. Um, I, after Socratizing that program, I created the School for Highly Gifted Children in South Florida. We had middle schoolers taking in, passing advanced placement courses along with the Great Socratic Humanities Program. Then I created Montessori Middle Schools in the Bay Area with a multi campus Montessori organization. I then created Angel Fire, Mon- Moreno Valley High School in Angel Fire, New Mexico. That's the one, Northern New Mexico, poor poorly performing region, we became the 36th best public high school based on AP performance in three years. Um, I then actually took a break from education, had met John Mackey, the founder and CEO of Whole Foods. We created a program to promote entrepreneurial solutions to world problems. And then about 10 years ago, I got back into education with a school in Austin, where we combined the Socratic with more creative and entrepreneurial projects. That was then absorbed into uh, higher ground education's uh Montessori network as their high school model And so uh, I worked with them with our high school programs in New York, San Francisco, Austin, and St. Louis. And when COVID hit, everyone was talking about how terrible online education was, and it was. was horrible. But um, dialogue works pretty well online. And so dialogue's my thing. I started the Socratic Experience fall of 2020 with three students on my credit card. Now we've got about 150 students, and we're continuing to grow with families from around the world. So that's a quick tour of my
1: adventures. That is awesome and well done in such a short amount of time. (laughs) And, you know, our journey of having uneducated parents is very similar. And I think that's a cool part. As I first heard you say that, I was like, yeah, I was sharing the other day that I had to actually go against the grain because my parents were like, why are you wasting your time kind of doing this intellectual stuff? You know, go, go get a job. And the Socratic piece, I'm really excited about this. I actually ran into a student of mine. The last time I taught a class full of high school students with 2011. And I ran into one of my students that graduated 12 years ago. And you're going to not be surprised by what she said to me. I remember your Socratic seminars. So we, I had them in ninth grade and then we looped and had them in 10th grade. I taught history and then they came back in 12th grade and we did government. So by the time they had, they came to 12th grade, they walked into the class and I said, let's go. Like we're doing it, Socratic, you know, and they would just organize the desk and I'd be like, okay, who's leading it today? And it's just the, you know, this and the most beautiful thing to watch ever when the kids are really owning it. And so I want to hear more about that, like I said, but I'm a big fan of the Socratic seminar and the philosophy and all of that. And your experience in such a varied experience, one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like we're all told to kind of, find, you know, our unique place. And it's like, we'll just really focus on this. And then we get, we get stuck there and we stay there. And I don't think that's really how the human condition and the human nature acts operates. It's, we're, you know, we're varied, we're different. We have all these amazing things within us that want to come out. So I appreciate all of that. And given your experience, given what you've seen, what you've done, you know, yourself, what is the problem that you see with the way we're doing K through 12 education today? That's a great question. Well, first, I'm a big
2: fan of John Taylor Gatto's uh, seven lesson school teacher. Gatto, New York State Teacher of the Year, has a wonderful essay um, where he basically describes uh, K-12 education as 13 years of training and how to be passive and how to be dependent, intellectually dependent and emotionally dependent. And I would say you know, everything that I've gotten in my life has been from taking initiative and being uh, intellectually independent. So I, I'm a big believer in, you know, we need to help young people go for it, take ownership of, you used an expression like this, take ownership of their education, of their lives. And if we train them to be passive independent, again, social mobility, I care a tremendous about about social mobility. Yeah. Um, I see young people who are go-getters, who know, uh, part of this is don't follow the rules, you know, be a rule breaker, but, uh, you know, who know how to go and make... St- stuff happen, that's the most powerful thing for social mobility. And so if we train kids to wait until they do as they're told by the teacher, uh, game over for a lot of kids already. There are some kids for whom school works. Give you some data points. Um, Yale has a study a couple of years ago, 75% of high school students are unhappy at school. You think, what consumer market has 75% of yeah. rent? You know, and on the other end, 25% uh, high school works for 25% of kids. Hooray. Yeah. I think the people who continue to believe in school, for me, I don't believe in school at all. We'll get to that in a minute. But the people yeah. who believe in school are that 25% for whom it works. So I have a son in law who was a great student. He was an extrovert. He's an athlete. He loved public school. Yeah. loved them. Raw. There are people like that. But 75% are unhappy. Uh, Gallup has been for decades following the engagement cliff, where in elementary school, most students are engaged in learning. By high school, it's down to one third. And, you know, when I published my book on Socratic Seminars, I did demonstrations in hundreds of classrooms across America. And this is the 1990s. And that was my experience. Outside of the kind of, you know, college track, gifted track, most kids are tuned out, bored. You know, whenever we read educational research, I think, have you guys ever watched an episode of Beavis and Butthead? (laughs) No, <laughs> that's that's kind of what's going on out there. Yes. You have these theories about blah 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 blah. No, <laughs> it's a joke. And so, until and unless we're engaging these young beings in a different way. Uh, it's failing a majority of kids. Uh, I'll do one more riff and let you hop in. I, I know you resonate uh, before uh, yeah. we about similarities and differences, and it sounds like it's almost all similarities. <laughs> uh, I see all of this as directly related to the mental health crisis. You know, Jingtwin, um, uh, Jonathan Haidt have you know been famously showing that uh, there's an adolescent mental health catastrophe, and they're associating it with social media, which is absolutely true. I'm not disagreeing with that. Mm. But uh, the adolescent mental health crisis preceded the recent uptick due to social media. Right. Um, listen, teen suicides are up 300% um, mm. between 1950 and 2000. So they were already, and by global and historical standards, it was an epidemic of teen suicide well before social media. It's gotten much worse. Um, you know, during the school year, and this again precedes social media, teens commit suicide almost at double the rate on Mondays in certain months of the school year. Mm. Visa- lie um public you know conventional public school is a public health catastrophe and this is you know the anxiety depression suicide is just the easiest to measure the horrific horrific tip of it um i published an article our public schools causing an epidemic of mental illness and after doing so i had somebody write to me and said um, while he was in school he imagined putting a gun in his mouth and blowing his brains out every day and it stopped as soon as he left school mm. and So many sorts of people. Again, the people who are happy and well in school can't imagine how miserable other people were. Personally, although I was a good student, I found secondary school to be the most boring and cruel years of my life. As an adult, never bored. uh, You know, just terrific on the ADHD thing, I'm an entrepreneur who have 50 tabs on my computer. I've got 20 projects going. I'm just crazy. If I was forced to sit in a classroom and listen Mm -hmm. six hours a day, they would have to medicate the heck out of me right i don't know what i would do to myself yes. would be self harm would be right there so boring beyond belief and then cruel you know kids are mean in school and as an adult, if somebody's a jerk, I don't hang out with them. Right. Well, so, uh, rat park. You know, there's the famous thing where they got rats addicted to cocaine in a cage, and they let, let the rats roam the park, and they're no longer you know interested in the cocaine. Hello. I think most adolescent dysfunction is because we cage kids in these boxes, make most of them miserable most of the time, and then we wonder why uh, you know young people are not prepared for the real world. Why we have an epidemic of anxiety, depression, suicide, and substance abuse. You know, I could go on and on and on, but you get the message.
1: Oh, I get the message and I'm with you 100%. And when, you know, when COVID started to happen and we shut down the schools and I think we saw, you know, I talk a lot about how parents saw what school is like. Like you mentioned online education doesn't work. Well, yeah, if you're doing Zoom school, you're taking the factory model, which is stand and deliver, command and control, pour information into the empty vessels... And now you're doing it via computer. You're just, you're actually, you use your words, you're taking the cage or the box and you're putting it, you know, virtually instead of at least like, for example, my son is a, a big regular middle school thousand kids. And he, the only part of the day he enjoys is when he gets to hang out with his friends at lunch, right? Cause it's 53 minute classes, four minute passing periods. And then, you know, 28 minutes for lunch. And that's, Literally the only time and a little bit of PE because there's some unstructured time. And so we saw what the problems are. A lot of parents, I hope, I think, start to open their eyes to what's happening in the schools that you're not really noticing because, you know, they're not looking at it like we are. And, but the mental health crisis was so escalated and just, again, you're just taking a problem and just pouring more gasoline right on the fire. And so I'm really glad that you brought up the mental health issue because I feel like that is something that, you know, we can talk about changing school and then what is the solution? The solution is to not change the operating system of school and to have these 2000 student high schools, 5000 student high schools, middle schools and to actually do social emotional learning if you're lucky. And then it's to do it in a way that's one another widget within the factory model system, right? And so, interestingly enough, not surprisingly, you're not seeing a lot of change, right? Or a lot of results. Um, yeah. Yeah. To rant on that, well, a couple of things. Um, one is I recently
2: interviewed John Mackey, founder of Whole Foods, and he described yeah. high school as a wasteland for him. He describes his... Uh, you know, resume is dishwasher, CEO of Whole Foods. He started as a young man and took off. Yeah. But, uh, you know, athletics and girls were the only thing he cared about in school. The academics right. are a total waste of time. I had my kids in the best public school in Broward County when they were younger at one point. They hated it after a few weeks. We pulled them out and unschooled them. Rather have them at home safe than yeah. be in that hellhole. So, uh, what i see as the real solution to the adolescent mental health crisis is connection community meaning and purpose and you're exactly right uh you know they see there's a social emotional learning problem they create a curriculum and now let's have a class on social emotional learning let's do worksheets on social emotional learning and maybe even take tests on social emotional learning and i want to scream yeah. it's about connection community meaning and purpose by the way i want to give credit to extracurriculars because i think extracurriculars are the healthiest place in school because yeah. there still is a lot of connection between the coaches or the orchestra conductor or whatever yeah. their sense yeah. of meaning and purpose so i think extracurriculars are saving our kids mm-hmm. but as the um as the system has become more bureaucratic 30 years ago when i got in uh, public school teachers still had a lot of autonomy. They could take a day to just talk you know, to kids about things and build connections. Now the uh, accountability system has made it into a machine. It's, uh, I think we're squeezing what's left of the human. And as a consequence, we absolutely need to. Creative destruction. Let the 25% like it stay there. And everybody else needs the opportunity to escape to a place where they can have a warm, connected community
1: uh, that can help them thrive. Yeah, and I'm actually really surprised that it's 25%. And I would wonder if what that means, because it feels to me like maybe the five percent that really enjoyed the formula that you know you go to the best school, you become a lawyer, that whole kind of affluent formula that we all try and follow. It's like I thought that would be more like five percent, but either way, twenty five percent still a very low number, right? I'm with you. The
2: data says 25% problem. We're just,
1: you know, yeah. Once we set the bar up to what learning can really be like, it'll go down to 5% quickly. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm feeling very strongly is that there's a grass movement, a grassroots movement boiling around parents, educators, just people. Everyone has been in school or you know, gone to school or has children. I mean, it, everyone's been, been experienced in some way, shape or form, right? So they have an opinion on it. And many of them don't under just don't know, like I said, because they're not aware of the things we're aware. Of. But I do see a grassroots movement that's tied to the mental health issues we're seeing, that's tied to the massive pandemic, which we just went through, that's tied to, you know, people being tired of this. And it's starting to kind of boil up more and more and more. And so, you know, what do you see as a solution? Like the Socratic experience, for example, is a solution for someone who says, you know, you unschooled your kids. A lot of people don't have the courage to do that. It's really difficult for some people, right? It's, they don't even know where to start. Um, but if they're saying, hey, I'm ready for a different experience, I'm ready for a philosophy. When I was opening my school, the parents loved the philosophy, And they're like, why don't we have all, why aren't all schools like this? And they were so confused. And of course, the school system bureaucracy said, your parents won't want to go to that school. Like they won't like it. And of course they loved it. And I'm sure you've had similar experiences, but tell us a little about the Socratic experience and, you know, what is the solution and how is this tied to more of like a grassroots movement than, you know, coming from like a um, systemic top down? Sure. Well, first, you know, I'm super excited
2: about the micro school movement and totally supportive of that. So that's, Uh, The grassroots piece you're talking about. We'll get into that more later. Okay, good. Um, Yeah, we offer the virtual grades three through 12 through the Socratic experience. And I think the first thing to understand before we get into our program is um, some Stanford scholars. Uh, Tayak and Cuban talk about the grammar of schooling and standard grammar of schooling is this is fourth grade math. This is seventh grade science. Okay. This is the report card. These are the assessments. Uh, this is what good teaching looks like. This is, you know, there, there's a whole thing. And most private schools follow the grammar of schooling. And but I think we really want to give kids initiative and support and address these underlying issues, we need to break that grammar of schooling. And Montessori famously has multi-age classrooms. We used to think, oh, multi-age classrooms. Hello, kids learn from other kids. Right. If you have role models as the older kids, the most effective thing you can do is to have younger kids hang out with older kids who are good role models. Forget the teacher. Let's do that. Different sort of thing is kids should go at their own pace. So, for instance, uh, at the Socratic Experience, we have a self-paced math program with tutors. I have some kids that do two years of math per year regularly. It's no big deal. I had one kid do four years of math in one year. Other kids may just do half a year of math. Maybe they have learning differences or they have holes they need to repair, or maybe they're in a phase of their life where they're not into math, or maybe, you know, they don't need that much math for the kind of career they're going to do it should be about what's right for each child. You were talking about doing what's right for each child. It sounds so simple. And yet I would say the grammar of schooling uh, forces people in regular schools to violate what's best for kids. Mm -hmm. As simple as what's the right pace for this particular child to learn math this particular year is not consistent with everybody's doing fifth grade math this year. Very simple. So our basic structure is, Monday through Friday, we have two two hour Zoom blocks, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays. So Wednesdays are electives. One is a Socratic Humanities block. It is Zoom 15 to 1, led by a guide rather than a teacher. The first half of it is personal growth. So every day we have a session on how do you become a better version of yourself? We don't tell them. We open up a discussion. How do you set goals? How do you learn from your mistakes? How do you deal with anger? What do you do if you're not getting along with your friends? Whatever. Initially, you know, it takes a while to build trust. But once they build trust, they want to have better lives. They want to be able to figure things out. And so we give them space to do that. And our guides help them do that. And we have a lot of cool content we expose them to, you know, in the kind of... Personal optimization geek world. There's all this ton of cool content, you know, Tim Ferriss all this stuff. And oh, yeah. hello, kids, kids are people too. They want to have better lives. So yeah. do that every day. Um, then we do the Socratic humanities themselves, where we discuss mostly classical texts from around the world, different cultural traditions. We read and discuss difficult material for kids who have dyslexia. They listen. No big deal. But kids love to argue, and the kids that don't love to argue love to listen to their friends argue. And of course, I say argue. We work to make it a civil, respectful discourse. That's absolutely essential. But just you know, part of the reason it's releasing prisoners is, wow, they are so excited to be talking, to have their opinions heard, to be thinking about things, and going back to the meaning and purpose part of, well-being they're in a stage of their life where they want to and need to explore what what's important to them uh, yeah. who are they what do they stand for i describe our program as the conscious development of personal identity in a modern language around know thyself but there have all of these conflicting belief systems and norms and agendas pushed on them all the time yes. who am i what do i want to stand for they crave it once you create the right space for it that's our two hour Socratic humanities block. Then integrated STEM, similar. We do some science Socratics, but we also do math problem solving. Where you know, as a group, it's separate from the self-paced math. As a group, we work together on in interesting hard problems, and they think, talk, and argue. There's some math games that are competitive, some other things that are collaborative. But again, making learning social and engaging, and where they can figure things out together. The real world, you know, teams, adult teams in every field are people figuring things out together. Yes. Designers figuring things out, coders figuring things out, you know, whatever it is. That's what we adults do uh, in many contexts. So that's our STEM program. Then the self-paced math separately. So the race horses can race ahead. Those who need more help can go their own pace. Totally cool. Wednesday electives include a lot of digital skills because a lot of our kids are really into digital skills. We have things like audio engineering, video production, software design, um, you know, those kind of things, you know, creative photography taught by a commercial photographer. You know, so we have great real-world professionals coming in and teaching digital skills. We also have things like entrepreneurship and uh, relationship course and, you know, health and fitness and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. I personally teach a purpose course where on the Guy or purpose diagram, what do you love? What are you good at? What will the world pay for? And what does the world need? And then finally, children have a mentor who meets with them once every two weeks, one-on-one for 30 minutes. And the mentor helps them figure out who they are, where they're going, what their post-high school goals are, what their math goals are, what kind of creative and entrepreneurial projects they want to do. So between the personal growth, all the meaning and purpose conversations, exploring different cool things they might want to do in electives, and a one-on-one mentorship, uh, our kids have a much greater sense of ownership about their own lives, their own future, their own education. And it's just a wonderful environment. I get uh, incoming requests from teachers unsolicited about twice a week from people who want to teach here because it's a a blast. See, that's the other thing. We talk about how miserable school is for students. We didn't Mm. talk about how miserable it is for teachers. Right. Prison guards, and it's horrible. Let's just flip it around, make it engaging, fun, authentic, real, and voila, problem solved.
1: Yeah. What you're describing as the Socratic experience, the school, the virtual school you have is if I was designing a school, which I'm in the process of designing high school, (laughs) it would be very similar to what you just described because of my 25 years working with young people and, and also understanding, you know, doing so much work on myself and doing personal growth is that I love that you're teaching the purpose course. I love that there's the, because what you're saying is, you're telling us what's you're seeing as the issues with the current system of education and you're telling us the solution you're offering us a solution which literally turns all those things upside down and then creates the environment and the atmosphere where kids can thrive and that is inspiring i love it <laughs> and so it's done virtually is there so are people coming from all over the world the country what's that look like yeah, no, and
2: absolutely, by the way, I I'm always happy to help anybody. I'm super busy, but also I'm such an evangelist for this. Help happy to help anybody start a school anywhere. Let's awesome. get kids escaping. But yeah, we have kids from around the world. We have kids from Pakistan, Mexico, Senegal, Guatemala, Canada. We had somebody from Taiwan, but the time zone issue proved to be too much. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. Pakistani kid is sometimes up till two in the morning, depending on wow. daylight time. Uh, but we have kids who just love it. And uh, because we give space for entrepreneurial and creative projects, we get a lot of rock star entrepreneurs. I have one student who had uh, raised $1.2 million for his Minecraft mod company. I have a student who's creating a music business where he helps influencers and large audiences create music. I have students who just learned to code, uh, but now they're making money as software developers. So I'm very big on kids actually making money, too. Uh, that's really valuable for them, even if it's a small amount. It's sort of a yeah. validation. Uh, and I think one of, the, one of the other reasons that we have such a, a mental health crisis, I'm big on the notion in traditional cultures, indigenous cultures, at the age of 12 or 13, you'd go out and be a responsible member of your community. Ben Franklin, Andrew Carnegie, Thomas Edison all started working at 12 or 13. And in traditional cultures, indigenous cultures, you have a rite of passage, you join the community. And we keep kids caged up, not doing anything that's relevant to the real world. And when they do something, you know, if a teen gets a job uh, posting social media for somebody, they feel valuable, they're oh, doing yeah. something real. And so connecting to the community in a
1: meaningful way uh, yeah, is essential to their well being. Yeah, and coming back to the theme of ownership is in today's world. I mean, my I always joke and tell the listeners like I'm on TikTok because my son literally said, "Why are you spending all your time on Instagram and LinkedIn?" Like TikTok's where it's at, and I said, "Well, I don't. I'm I'm even when I open it up, it freaks me out because there's so many bells and whistles." And I said, "If you want me on TikTok, you got to do it." So of course he went on there and posted all these videos and he posts videos of him playing basketball and he gets like 2000 likes. And he's like, this is where it's at. So I feel like where we are with the gig economy, with, you know, more people able to do things when we're in the freelancing way and, you know, it's more democratized and information is out there and the way that you can use the digital economy, you know, there's so many things out there that we can't even understand as adults, that the kids are... This is their world. right? And so I love that you're giving that space. And then that gives them the ownership. Because again, if they're in a traditional school, they're having to go against... In spite of, they're going to find ways to... Okay, now we got out of school. Now let's go start our YouTube channel and let's learn all this stuff. And I had a kid that actually built my first website 3 years ago. He was 15. I met him in this entrepreneurial course I was doing. And I asked him, you know, did, Oh, did you go to college? What's we up to? He's like, I'm 15. I'm like, Whoa, you're so impressive for 15. So I said, what do you do? He's like, I build websites to help people with social media. So he actually did all that for me and he was amazing. And he was, but he was doing that outside of school. So he had to find the time. And I'm thinking, the system is so broken that they're not even able to do it. They have to now do all their work. And he was in AP classes and all this because he was such, you know, an ambitious kid. And then here he is staying up until two or three in the morning trying to actually do the what he enjoys. Right.
2: No, no, big time. I can't exaggerate enough how important this digital work opportunity is. You're right. Young people have an opportunity. They're early adopters. You know, they know these platforms. They can do well. Just as an aside, my wife is from Africa and we're busy helping young African kids. Um, get to the point where they can make money in the digital world. Because, you know, Senegal, where she's from average income is about $2 a day. Yeah. Uh, teen, can a 14, 15-year-old teen make more than $2 a day on the internet? Hello. Uh, oh. and so, you know, she's frustrated. There's still all these unemployed PhDs in Senegal driving taxi cabs. Mm why do we why do we you know train kids for an academic track where they'll be unemployed at the age of 28 when 14 year olds you know I've spent the most last 20 years in Austin and San Francisco and yeah I get teenagers that are online making money having fun
1: feeling important and valuable boom it's not that hard yeah i want to hear about this purpose course that you teach and you know what would you what advice would you have for parents and just tell us all about you know how do you how do you help so I did have a, um, a guest who talks, they're starting a company called Point B where they're helping 17 to 22-year-olds kind of figure out their purpose. That's their primary goal for their company. But I'd love to hear like, you know, what you're teaching kids and how parents can help their kids find purpose.
2: All right. And so I would say, again, one of the most important things that I do, and you as somebody who's done Socratic seminars knows it, is a lot of listening. So yeah. asking questions and then listening. So I think it's really important... Uh, I think given where American adolescent culture is, it's not effective to preach at them. So I think the first thing that parents need to do is take away any, uh, and I think often kids who resist, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, it's because they're being preached at and they react. And so the first thing is just to have it really be open-ended. And it does, by the way, help to be a non-parent because especially moms. I have huge compassion for moms because it's healthy for kids to individuate, separation from parents.
1: Yeah. And especially, I get so many moms. They're so nice to you, but they're so mean to me like well that's me i understand my son's 13 and my poor wife is going through this right now and i'm like it's all part of the adolescent development and she's like yeah it's easy for you to say <laughs> <laughs> it's huge
2: but yeah you know the way we think about it is i ask you know and it's mondays what do you love and there are a thousand it's not a simple question what kinds of things do you love why do you love them does what you love change over time do you know what you love in the future to what extent are external influences causing you to love some things another another yeah. You know, it's a really rich question. Uh, know thyself, again, about who I am and what's driving my desires. Huge okay. question. In Tuesdays, what are you good at? You know, there's the narrow academic thing, but are you good at compassion? Mm-hmm. No. humaneness, are you good at humor? Are you good at initiative? Are you Are good at sales? How do you know if you really worked on something, would you be better? Um, where do you know that you can love what you do so much that you have a commitment to becoming world-class at it. Steve Martin has a long line, be so good they can't ignore you. And, you know, as a comedian, he practiced and practiced and practiced to get where he was. And I I want students to have this thing that it's not a snapshot. People talk about, you know, the notion of, do you have an identity of I can't grow a growth mindset or not? And by the way, there's literature showing that uh, school interventions and growth mindset don't work. And of course, that's just like social emotional learning, of course, right. it's left in the chalkboard, you idiots. Of course, yeah. it's not going work. Yeah. But um, you know when you coach them about let's think about what kind of goals you could set to become really great and if you own those goals and really drive towards them, but you know, you don't want to you don't want to get into a ten years of deliberate practice if that's not your thing. So it's worth really right. thinking about. So that's what are you good at? Um, What will the world pay for? You know, a lot of schools do, oh, let's do some, you know, job, let's think about jobs. And you know, 21st century economy, you know, it's changing so fast. Absolutely. I want them to think more about how they can add value. What does it mean to add value? I have a friend Charlie Hohn who has a great book called Recession Proof Graduate, where he encourages young people to work for free for somebody, prove that they can add value. And then uh, bootstrap their way into a job. And he points out that as long as you're more adding more value than you're paid, your job is secure. <laughs> and so, them yeah. into the notion of what you know, most kids, it's they never have never thought. Most college graduates have never thought about what no. does it mean to add value. No. That lens alone, superpower. But it takes a lot to learn that lens. You have to you have to actually know something about the economy to understand the chain from you know employee to company to customer. Uh, to, you know, how, to, how does value, how does value appear? How does it become manifest? It's a very sophisticated problem, really fascinating. So we get into that and the And then what does the world need? Oh my gosh. Is there a bigger question? You know, and, uh, I think one thing that, that uh, doesn't serve students well is if teachers say, this is the crisis of the day. That's you know, when I've asked students what they think the most important thing is. Remarkable diversity about what they think the world needs, and and they really do want to think about it. And, and frankly, some are afraid. They just hear you know crisis story every day, all day, if they're exposed to the news. Actually, as an aside, I think a lot of the kids escape into fantasy and gaming and uh, things because the horrors that they hear in the media all the time mm-hmm. are just too much. Yeah. So a lot of this is let's let's try to think about who we are in the world. What are things like? What are trends? How do you know? And what given what you love, what you're good at, and how the world might pay you pay to do things, you know, what the world will pay for. Let's think about this. And long and slow. The other thing is, everything we do, I look at this as we're just planting the seeds. You know, it's not like we need to get the A on the test at the end of the semester. Right. But let's let's give them a framework for thinking about these things. Uh, and again, in combination with everything else we do, over time, I think our students come out really strong, confident, well. So by the way, my purpose course is uh, at 4 p.m., Uh, central time. So it's designed so that people from outside my
1: school can join it. Okay. Uh, They can come to our website and sign up just for the purpose course if they want. Oh, that's really cool. That's great to know. So it's not just for the students in your school. Yeah. And it's so fascinating to think about what an adolescent or a young person knows innately and just kind of like to your point of know thyself. It's like, you know, actually a lot about yourself when you're that age. Right. And we're not really, we don't really give them credit for that. So exposing them and using kind of that dialogue of asking them the questions, well, what do you love? And it's like, because if I think back to my life, it's like I knew what I loved at that point. Like when I was 14, I had a dream that I was going to be a college basketball coach. Well, I didn't really at the time that was my context. I loved basketball. I hated school. Just like you were saying, I literally just endured it. And, you know, I actually missed a whole year of school on my high school transcript because. I, I just wouldn't go and they didn't notice. And, but I got, you know, really good grades. And, but yeah, so I knew when I was about 14 that I wanted to be, I wanted to be this basketball coach. But really what I was saying was I wanted to guide people, mentor, teach, and, you know, help people transform their lives, right? Like, but it was, it's a different thread, but I knew that at 14. So I feel like these kids know a lot and by giving them that opportunity to express it and explore it, I think that's awesome. Well, thank you. And, and just,
2: I didn't spend a lot of time on your website, but I saw the word intuition pretty high profile. Big one which, for me. I, which I love. Uh, and I think, you know, well, part of the approach, this is your school, it's sort of modernity. It's that the external experts are there to tell us what to do. And I think that I tell each child, you are the world's leading expert on yes. who you are. <laughs> you know, that's such an obvious thing, but I think nobody has ever validated them in that way. And, you know, whatever, you know, Strengths finder quiz they have or personality test or whatever. Yeah, maybe, but nobody's going to know them the way they do. And especially if we spend time reflecting and thinking, you know, and they think social influences are important. We do spend a lot of time. I want them to be intentional about everything. I want them to be intentional about what websites they go to, what social relationships Hmm. they develop. You know, with an average of the five people we spend the most time with. My favorite line. (laughs) There we go. Exactly. So I really want them to be. Not only start as the world's leading expert, but really become uh, insightful about who they are and where they could best deploy their genius. I, I think as parents and educator, our educators, our job is to help every child discover and develop their unique genius. I think yes. there are
1: a million kinds of genius, and let's figure it out. Yeah, and that's exactly how I created that. That was everything about my school's trade around that sentence you just said. And when you start there. Then amazing, amazing things happen, right? Because the magical things happen when you're actually saying, how can we help you find your inner genius and just bring it out into this world? And so if we had every school in America doing that instead of talking about the standardized test scores and the you know, units of instruction that were developed in 1890, I had a guest yesterday who said if you change Latin for French or Spanish, it's the same course of study from 1890, right? So it's it's we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta get better.
2: Well, you know, again, going to similarities and differences, it sounds like you and I would have to go a long time to find much more differences. <laughs> but just one kind of relevant comment on that. When we interview young people for our program, our first question is, what do you love? What do you care about? And yes. for many of them, it's the first time anybody in education has ever asked them what they love, what they mm-hmm. care about. It's wow. so top down. Uh, yeah, something as simple as being, we all want to be seen. Being seen and known and cared about is the most important human need, you know, beyond food, a little bit up Maslow's hierarchy. And nobody in K-12, individual teachers are heroic principals, coaches, for sure. But qua system, the system has zero interest
1: in knowing about the child or caring about the child. Yeah, the teachers and the, you know, the adults in the system have to kind of find ways around that. But it's, it's not something that's going to come natural. And I love that you brought up intuition because one of the messages I share with everyone is, especially kids, is you really can trust yourself. You can trust yourself and you know yourself really well. And so when the adults are all saying, you know, that's wrong, you got to just question go within yourself and ask like, do I actually agree? And, you know, and school teaches you to basically go outside and find all the experts to tell you if you're, if you're value, if you matter, if you're right. And then of course we go into the world and we do the same thing, waiting around for the boss to tell us that we we're worth a certain dollar amount or whatever. Um, okay. Just to wrap up here. Last question is, you know, are there any things that you wanted to share that maybe didn't come up in our conversation or any closing thoughts you might want to share before we uh, wrap up here?
2: Well, actually, going to your notion of intuition, uh, in some ways, when I talk to people about what they should do for their kids, in many ways, I feel as if I'm validating parents' intuition Mm -hmm. uh, of the system, you know. Going back to mama bear, I, I look forward to what is happening, should happen as a mama bear revolution. Of course, dads are important too, but if mothers simply were concerned that their children are not thriving at school, I mean, the norm should be your children is, your child is thriving. They're happy. They're joyous. They're engaged. Yeah. Every going back to the mental health problem culminating in the suicide crisis. If every mom, every time their child was really not happy about schooling, alarm bells went off and they were able, if we had lots of educational options, they were able to put their kid in a different option immediately. Our children, millions of children's lives would be important. So a lot of this is, yeah, love your child, take care of them. And that means don't defer to the experts. Uh, If your child is not thriving, listen to that instinct and do whatever you can to make sure they're thriving. And, you know, even the kind of academic thing, there's this mania for test scores. We'll do a little rant on this. You know, 3% of students go to selective colleges in the United States. So there's all this ridiculous anxiety about college admissions. First of all, most colleges are desperate for warm bodies. You know, community colleges will take anybody. Most arts colleges at this point are in danger of going under. So they're desperate for warm bodies. They shouldn't have skills, but, you know, anxious about college admissions? Well, you know, Ridiculous, just ridiculous. Yeah. So if you want to go to Harvard, Law, I'm here to support you. But uh, I knew somebody who had worked in Montessori, and she was asked, is Montessori good for getting to the Ivy League? And she said, yes, if the child wants to, No, if the parent wants them to. Yes, so, I like that. You know, uh, I, I would say support your child in following their own unique path. Um, give you one more anecdote. You know, Mr. Beast hated school. And at the age of 12, he basically quit paying attention and started optimizing for YouTube, optimizing creative content, the marketing, the algorithm, and everything. Now he's in his 20s, has a billion dollar company, uh, 180 million subscribers. New York Times is only 9 million. So Mr. (laughs) Beast totally rocked it. He could have dropped out at 12 and done this without any school. Again, going back to our notion of teens, you know, if your teen is a interested in a creative entrepreneurial project, I would say support your child in healthy, productive passions. I mean, if, you know, they have a destructive passion that's different, but put them in a healthy environment with lots of positive influences and give them freedom and support them. And yeah, research all the amazing options happening so every child can thrive and be happy in childhood, adolescence, and into adulthood.
1: Okay, I love that. And This gives me an opportunity to remind everyone what I'm doing with Changemaker EDU around, which I was telling you, Michael, before we hit record, creating a hub for the mama bears for the disillusioned educators so that you have a place to go and we can help you find people like Michael and say, oh, wait, this is an option. I could literally have my kid experience every day, have an experience like that every day virtually with with, uh, the Socratic experience. And so we're going to help you do that. We're going to help you... If you're an educator that's disillusioned, we're going to help you find... Oh, we didn't talk about the micro schools because that's one thing I want. So let's do that right before we finish. So we'll help you find a micro school you could work at. We'll help you find a team that wants to launch a micro school. I think that's going to be a big push in the next you know, 30 years. But yeah, tell us a little about micro schools and then we'll close out here.
2: Yeah, you know, the old-fashioned vision of a private school is this big, prestigious Ivy League thing that's super expensive, yada, yada, yada. Or maybe religious schools, perfectly fine, a lot of great parochial schools. But there's been a new movement of smaller schools done by parents and educators. In some ways, that's what I've been doing for 30 years. You know, yeah. My largest charter school is 130. Uh, so a lot of times my schools start at 15. I'd go into a new town, recruit 10, 15 parents, and uh, bootstrap away. <laughs> Yep. And uh some people want to keep micro schools around 10, 15, 20, but, you know, even 150 is pretty manageable. But the idea is parents and educators are kind of doing a DIY version of education between technology and all the online resources. I mean, the Socratic experience, we're partnering with somebody, some people doing micro schools where we pipe in part of the academic day, then they do cool, creative, entrepreneurial project stuff for a school, whatever. Acton Academies are all over. Prinda is a... Uh, learning, micro school learning model of scale. Um, You know, there are a whole bunch of these models. And so you don't have to do it alone. You know, you can be part of the networks. I'm glad you're creating this network. There are a bunch of these networks developing where parents or educators who are unhappy can leap out of it and start a little school with a lot of support. And finally, in many states, Arizona passed a universal education scholarship account, ESA, last year, where all 1.1 million students in Arizona can have $7,500 to do pretty much whatever they want by way of schooling, (laughs) including micro school, they can use it, pay us, or, you know, tutors, whatever. And so, and about seven or eight states have passed that since. So in something like 25% of American students today are free from the system, parents can take that money. So even low-income parents can start a micro school. And yeah, there's a rich
1: community of us out here who are eager to help you create a fabulous learning environment in your home. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, we definitely will be keeping in touch. And I'm sure Michael will be one of the partners as I build this, as I build this out because it's in very early stages. So we're getting there. But anyway, Michael, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Great to be here, David. Thank you. Oh, last thing. Where can they find um, you know more about? I'll put it in the show notes. But where can they find you and um, the Socratic kind of Experience? So www.socraticexperience.com.
2: I also have a YouTube channel Socratic Michael Strong, where uh, the daughter of a friend, I began doing Socratic discussions with her when she was four years old, she just turned 11. So you can watch seven years of development through Socratic dialogue. It's really cool if you have a lot of patience. Um, And then I'm on social media. uh, So look for Michael Strong uh, at Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and uh, happy to have followers and uh, I also write a medium and sub stack.
1: So I'm all over oh, the place. Great. We can do oh here. my gosh, yeah, I know. I'm sure people are gonna love to follow all the stuff you're talking about, because it's awesome. All right, thanks again, Michael. Thank you, good to be here, David. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement And without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you.
0: Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B E.